We are continuing our Summer on the Mount as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And we're going to be in, in a familiar part of the Sermon on the Mount uh, this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 is where we're going to be at. And it's the familiar, you're the salt of the earth passage. You're the light of the world passage. That's uh, what we're looking at, and that's what we're going to be exploring. And this text is incredibly familiar and sometimes that familiarity and sometimes the way I think it's often taught causes us maybe to, to maybe just miss a little bit of exactly what Jesus is getting at. And so I'm excited to be able to explore a familiar, maybe simple, and yet maybe we've missed a few things sort of text this morning. And to set it up, let me just kind of set, set a little context and then tell you a little story. Um, when we turn to the Sermon on the Mount, and the last couple of weeks, you know, you guys have explored the, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? And you walk down through the Beatitudes. But oftentimes what we miss, because of the chapter breaks in our Bible, is who Jesus is talking to. And at the end of chapter 4, uh, Matthew tells us who Jesus is talking to. That, that there's a crowd of people that's gathering around Jesus. And he tells us the places where that crowd is from. That crowd is from Galilee, he says. That crowd is from the Decapolis. That crowd is from uh, Jerusalem, Judea. And that crowd is from the region east of the Jordan River. In other words, what you've got in the crowd is a massive mixed bag of people. Uh, you've got Jews from the Galilee who are more familiar with kind of cross-cultural relationships because there's more Gentiles up there. You've got people in the crowd who are from the Decapolis, and that's a strictly Gentile region, non-Jewish region. So you've got non-Jews in the crowd. You've got the people east of the Jordan who's Jews, non-Jews, and then you've got the Jews from Jerusalem and Judea, and they're sort of like the elitist Jews who think they're better than all the other Jews because they're around Jerusalem. You've got all these different kinds of people in the crowd. That's who Jesus is talking to. And that's really, really important for everything he says in the Sermon on the Mount and specifically for this text we're going to look at today. Um, and to set that up, uh, let, me, let me just tell you a, just a brief little story. I was in graduate school in 1993. <laughs> Tells you my age. I'm old. All right. <clears throat> Uh, yes, I'm a grandpa. I got to spend the morning yesterday at the zoo in the park with my kids and my grandkids because the, the zoo was doing a big deal yesterday. So see, I'm old, all right? So I was in graduate school in 1993, um, and uh, I get a phone call from uh, one of my former professors at Boise Bible College. And he's transitioning from being a professor to being academic dean, and so he calls me on the phone, and he says... John, what are, you, what are you doing after you graduate? Well, I'm not graduating for like another 15 months. Uh, and so I'm like, well, as far as, uh, as far as I know, I'll probably just try to find a ministry somewhere and, and you know, be a pastor or something like that. Uh, and he's like, what would you think about moving back to Boise and teaching at Boise Bible College? My immediate gut reaction, I mean, this is, this is what happened. I started to laugh out loud on the phone. And he stops and he says, no, 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 I'm serious. To which I said, I know you're serious, but it totally caught me off guard. Um, because he, he needed a replacement for that year. And I had 15 more months. I never expected, I didn't even put my name in the hat. It wasn't something that was available to me, right? Like, besides that, I was terribly inexperienced. I was in graduate school. Like, why would you offer that to me? So I was completely taken aback, completely surprised, completely shocked that I would be offered this position 
to teach at my alma mater. That, what, there was other people that were more qualified that should have been given that job. There were other people that were more qualified that I knew had applied. I hadn't even applied. Why, why should I be offered that job, right? Maybe, maybe you've had an experience like that. Maybe when you were like playing on a school sports team or something and all your teammates wanted you to be the team captain. And you were like, I, I never thought that would be me. Right? Like maybe it was a position at work where there was people that you thought were ahead of you in line. And for whatever reason, they offered you this, this position that you, you really would like, but you never even dreamed it would be yours. Right? Maybe it was a student body leadership position in college or something like that. Have you ever had that experience where you were offered a position that's like, I, I just never thought that that would be me. I never thought I would get that chance. Keep that image in mind. That'll be important as we walk down through this text. That'll be important as we come back to what's actually going on in this text and the feel and the force of this text in Matthew chapter 5, all right? So let's jump in. Matthew 5, familiar passage where Jesus begins in verse 13, and he says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by people. Um, You are the salt of the earth. And when you read like commentaries and some of that Bible scholars on this passage, they often wrestle with, well, what function of salt is Jesus, you know, uh, uh, getting at? Like, why is salt such a big deal? Is it the preserving feature of salt? Is it the flavoring feature of salt, right? Is it like, what, what function of salt is it? Is it maybe some of the healing properties of salt? And they wrestle with that. And the answer is, yes. It's all of them. And here's why. Because to understand what Jesus is getting at, you kind of have to step out of our modern world and into the first century world. Back in time in history, put yourself in the sandals of a Jewish person listening to Jesus. And what was salt? See, like we walk, you know, into Winco or Albertsons and we just, you know, buy a thing of Morton salt off the shelf and boom, we've got our salt. We're good to go, right? And we don't think about all that goes into getting salt and how important salt is. Um, One Jewish writer writing between the the time of Malachi and Matthew, um, Ben Sirach, Ecclesiastes is the name of his book sometimes. Ben Sirach actually listed salt as one of the seven necessary things for life. Like, it's like goes right along with water and fire and wheat and clothes, like salt. You need it just as much as you need all those things. We often don't realize that, like how important salt is. Like salt is so important, every animal needs it, every animal craves it. That's why there's salt licks, right? We were backpacking a handful of years ago, uh, and my father-in-law was with us, and he had this hat that he'd wear whenever he's out hunting or backpacking or hiking, this hat that he would wear on his head. My father-in-law sweats. This hat had been used for years. This hat was uh, saturated with my father-in-law's salty sweat. Uh, He left the hat hanging outside of his tent, and one morning we wake up. The hat is no longer uh, near. It's like Way, way away. Why? Because a deer had found it and had used it as a salt lick. Animals crave salt. We all need salt. Like, which function of salt is it? It's all of them. Why? 
because salt is necessary for life. Absolutely necessary for life. Salt is valuable and useful. And that's the point. Um, when you think about the history of salt, like we, we often don't think about that, but like roads were built because of salt. Empires grew up because of salt. Cities uh, you know, grew large because of salt. Like in our own kind of intermountain region, we have Salt Lake City because of salt. In fact, we don't often think about it, but still to this day, every year, almost 2 million tons, catch that, 2 million tons of salt are harvested from the Great Salt Lake near Salt Lake City. And that's not even used for table salt. They don't even make table salt from it. And they still get 2 million tons of salt from Salt Lake for uh, salt licks and for salting roads and for a whole host of uses. Salt is useful and valuable and necessary. In our own American history, like we know New York City is a huge city. Part of the reason New York City got so big is the Erie Canal. Part of the reason, one of the major motivations for making the Erie Canal, which at its time was considered like one of the eighth wonders of the world because of its engineering features, right? Like one of the major reasons the Erie Canal was built was because of salt. Because after the War of 1812, there was a salt shortage. But there was salt in upstate western New York. And so let's make a big canal. Let's bring it to the Hudson and let's ship it down and send it. To the, and, and as a result, we get the Erie Canal and New York City grew. And then more goods could be transported over the Erie Canal. Salt, like cities were built where salt was found, right? Empires grew up, like salt is valuable and necessary and useful. And that's Jesus' point. You are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. Like be useful, be valuable, be necessary to life. You're salt, that's who you are. You're like this stuff and you're necessary, useful and valuable to life. And that's Jesus' point. In fact, the Roman writer Pliny said that nothing is so useful as salt and sunshine. Nothing is so useful as salt and sunshine. So you're the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. Jesus goes on in verse 14 and he says, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to everyone who are in the house. Like, that's you. You're the light of the world. Just like you're salt, the other imagery is light. And once again, light's necessary. Light's necessary, valuable, and useful. We, we were, uh, a number of years ago, when my kids were small, we were in uh, Auckland, New Zealand, and I was doing some teaching down there. And uh, we were staying in a house with uh, a family that had hosted us while we were there for the month. And, and it was an unfamiliar house, right? I get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Um, I don't want to wake up uh, the four-month-old and the three-year-old or my wife, it's not a good idea to wake up any of those people in the middle of the night. So 
keep the lights off, right? This was back in the day before like everyone had cell phones. So you couldn't even use like, you know, the light of your cell phone to find where you're going. So it was pitch black in this unfamiliar house. And so I, I walk out of the bedroom. I manage to feel my way to the door. I, I, I get out the door. Uh, the, there's a large kind of family room area at this house we were staying. And the the worship pastor was sleeping there, so I didn't want to w- turn the light on there. So I kind of find my way through the, the dark room there and then into the restroom. I make it to the restroom, flip the light on, <laughs> take care of business, go to the bathroom, turn the light off, find my way back through, right? I'm coming into the, the bedroom where we're, we're sleeping. Um, it's pitch black. This is a downstairs basement room. And as I'm coming in, I'm trying to get into bed. I missed. <laughs> I caught the edge in the corner of the bed, and the, the, it had a big square, you know, post, and it caught me right in the middle of my thigh with all my weight in the middle of the night. Like, bam, just nailed that. Now I'm waking everyone up screaming in pain. <clears throat> Not a good idea. Why? Because it was dark. Right? Like, when it's dark we risk losing our way. When it's dark, we were stumbling and hurting ourselves. When it's dark, right? Like that's the point of light and dark in the Bible. Like dark is bad. Light is good. You are light. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, which was just familiar imagery in their world. Like Jerusalem was considered a city on a hill, right? And it was supposed to be the light to the nations, or uh, cities in the ancient world, like if, if, if a city got, you know, beaten down in war, they would just pick up the loose pieces, fill in the holes, build it on top of that. So you frequently got cities on hills all over the ancient world. And a city on the hill, when it's lit up at night with fires and various things, right? And all of a sudden, everyone knows there's a city over there. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And then he mentions lamps. And when we think of lamps, we think of lamps. But that's not what lamps look like for them. What do the lamps look like for them? Got a picture of what a little lamp looked like for them. And these little lamps, that's what he's talking about. That was the kind of lamp Jesus had in mind. Put a little olive oil inside of it. You put a wick in it and you light it. Got a little tiny lamp. Uh, But in a dark room, even a little tiny lamp puts off what? A lot of light. So he says, you don't take a little lamp like this and put a basket over it. There's multiple problems with that. Not only does it extinguish the lamp and hide the light, but it's probably going to light it on fire. That's not good right? Uh, But not only that, it doesn't serve its purpose. No light. And so what do you do with that little lamp? Well, every Jewish home had little shelves that you would just set your lamp on up high so it could spread the light further and wider so it could give light to everybody in the house. And that's what he says. You're, You're like that. You're the light of the world, and your job is to spread the light so everybody can see it. Everybody in the house can see it. Um, you are light. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 says that as children of light, here's, here's like three things that light consists of. It consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. You're the light of the world. Um, and you are full of goodness and righteousness and truth. And so be the light, right? That's his point. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Don't put your light under a basket. Now, um, notice with both the salt and the light what he says to you. He says, you 
What does he say? You are. You are. He doesn't say you should be. He doesn't say if you try hard enough, you can be. He doesn't say, you know, if you, if you make a real effort at it, maybe someday, maybe someday it'll be possible for you and you will be. He says you are. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. That's just who you are. Now, here's Jesus with this vast crowd of all these different people around him. And guess what? Almost everyone in that crowd were people that the, the Jews in the know, the Jews who were really spiritual, the Jews who really knew the scriptures, most everyone in that crowd were the kind of people that those kind of Jews would look at and say, they're not salt. They're not light. Like, Who's really the salt and the light? It's us Pharisees. We know the scriptures and we're trying to keep the holiness and the purity of the scriptures. We're salt and light. Um, the Jews in Jerusalem around the temple, we're salt and light. Gentiles? You're, you're, you're handing this opportunity to be salt and light to Gentiles? You're handing the opportunity to be salt and light to like, the Yom Haaretz, the people of the land, the everyday ordinary Jews who, who aren't anything special and aren't anything important and who, you know, struggle to keep the law, they're salt and light? And Jesus says yes to average, ordinary people. People who could have never expected the opportunity, who could have never expected this. Jesus says, you, you are salt and light. That's what's going on in this text. He's looking at a massive crowd of people of all these different kinds, and he has pronounced blessings on them. Like, it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter whether you're religious or irreligious, whether you've come from a, a good moral background or an immoral background, right? It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew and know the scriptures or a Gentile, never even heard the scriptures. It doesn't matter your background. Jesus says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Like, you can be blessed in Jesus' kingdom regardless of your background. And then, after pronouncing blessings on them, what Jesus says is, and guess what? In my kingdom, when you step into my kingdom, you have been blessed to be a blessing. You've been blessed. And we know if we've been listening to the Genesis study, right, over the, with Tom over the last handful of months, like, that goes clear back to Abraham. God called Abram, and he was going to bless him and make a great nation. And through him, all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. That's God's way. God blesses people so they can bless people. And here, what Jesus just said is, in my kingdom, you are. You were the salt of the world. You are the light of the world. You are that. You have been blessed by God in Christ. And now you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And that means be useful, be valuable, be necessary to life. Um, and 
how, Jesus? Like, okay, I get it. I'm salt of the earth, right? I'm the light of the world. How do I do that? Like, you've given me this opportunity. You've given me this special position, just like me being given this position of being a teacher. And it's like, how? How do I do that? Right? Like, what, what does that mean? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Help me out, Jesus. How do you do that? And that's where verse 16 comes in. Now, before we read it, before we read it, here's the thing. So often, this passage is taught, uh, at least in the way I'm familiar with hearing it taught, you know, with you need to be the light of the world. And usually what that means is, at least the way I, I grew up hearing it was, I need to be out there telling my neighbors all about Jesus. Right? I need to be witnessing to my coworkers. I need to be, you know, down there on the street corner holding up a sign or something, right? Like, I need to be spreading the light of Jesus by witnessing. And that's important. Don't want to minimize the reality of evangelism. That's just not what Jesus says here. Witnessing, evangelism, seems to be almost more the after effect of what Jesus says here. So, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. How do I live that out, Jesus? Well, look, look at verse 16. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Your light must shine before mankind, before the, the people around you in such a way that they see your good works and glorify God. How do, you, how do you carry out your life as salt and light? How do you do that? Well, good works. Good works. I mean, just look at the text as a whole so you can see kind of how it all fits together, and you'll see that you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. So let your good works shine. Salt, light, good works. Salt, light, good works. How do you live out this, this, this new identity that Jesus is giving you as salt and light? You do it by good works. Good works, good deeds. That's, that's how you do it, with good deeds. Now, when we hear the word good deeds, what, what do we mean? Like, what are we thinking of? Well, I'll tell you one of the things we're not thinking of. We're not thinking of all this. We're not thinking of any actual religious, religious things. In fact, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, your religious things should be done in secret between you and God. Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're, we're not talking about religious deeds, religious behaviors, you know, pray out loud in front of everyone and do it in such a way that they, oh, they, wow, he's really spiritual, right? Like, we're not talking about those kinds of things. What are we talking about when we say good works? What we're talking about in the context of the Sermon on the Mount is everyday life stuff. Just read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount for starters and you'll hear what Jesus means. Everyday life stuff like get rid of anger, contempt, and blame. Get rid of that. That's no way to manage relationships. That doesn't help, right? Like get rid of anger, contempt, and blame. Um, Get your sexual drive under control so that you, you can be faithful to your spouse and you, you don't, you know, you're not consumed by lust. Let's, let's get that part taken care of. Uh, be faithful to your marriage vows. These are all things he talks about immediately in the Sermon on the Mount. Like, let your yes be yes, your no be yes. No, in other words, live with perfect integrity so people know they can count on you. So if you said you'll do something, it'll get done because they can count on you. 
right? These are the things he's talking about. Don't live with consuming anxiety and worry about stuff because God will take care of you. So don't be marked by all that. Let your good works shine before people in such a way that you stand out as distinctly different. See, that's how salt works. Salt is distinctly different than what it goes on, and it stands out because of that. That's how light works. When you flip on a light switch, boom, it all of a sudden stands out because it's different from everything else around it, right? Like, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And you are given the opportunity to be distinctly different in the world to show a different way of being human by your good works, by the way you live your life. with all these. And you keep reading the rest of the New Testament, and what do you hear? The same sorts of things. Be humble. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love everybody. People who are mean to you, love them. Pray for them. Will good things for them. That's different. And that'll stand out. And that'll be necessary, valuable, and useful in this world. Like, that's what Jesus is saying is, I am, I'm bringing you into my kingdom. And as you come into my kingdom and you associate with me, I'm going to make you different. And as you're made different, you will stand out in the world by, by living these kind of works right where you live every day. You let your good works shine. The way you live your life in such a way that's distinctly different and it stands out. When uh, my wife and I lived in Cincinnati a handful of years ago and uh, I worked at a, a department store, sort of like a Fred Meyers, but it was called Swallens. And the security guard and I became friends. And over the course of time, um, they started coming to church with me. And then over the course of time, um, I, they came to faith in Jesus. And then um, I, I baptized Ed, and Ed baptized Bonnie, and they're following Jesus. And it's a great thing. We moved back to Boise from Cincinnati. And this is, again, dating myself. There wasn't much email back then. So we're doing old school letters, right? And so I get a letter from Ed and Bonnie um, several years after we moved back here. And uh, Ed and Bonnie, had, they weren't going to church much anymore. Um, I wanted to know why. And the, here's what, remember, they're young believers. Here's what they said. We go to church and they're so worried about impacting the world and evangelizing the lost and I'm not sure a single one of them knows how to do one good day in their own neighborhood. To live one good day in their own neighborhood. They're young believers, but that's a profound insight because that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about, couldn't you live one good day in your own neighborhood? Are you useful to your neighborhood? Are you valuable to your neighborhood? Do you, are, are you necessary to your neighborhood? Or do you, did your neighbors think, well, I don't get them, but man, I sure appreciate them. Like, useful, valuable, unnecessary for life. Like when Jesus says, be salt, be light, what he's saying is like, do, do good in your hood, man. Like, <laughs> like be a good neighbor. Like, let your, let your good works shine before people in such a way that they would glorify your Father in heaven. If we just started there, in our own neighborhood, right? And we worked out from there. 
We learned how to love our neighbors, our literal neighbors. Then maybe we could work out to, to those co-workers, some of whom are easy to get along with and some of whom are just irritating. And we're going to love them anyhow in Jesus' name because that's what he calls us to do. Like in your own little kingdoms, in your own little kingdoms, be useful, be valuable, be necessary for life. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And since it's Father's Day, can I just say a word to the dads in the room? Like just, just a word. Like when Jessica was reading her, her the letter that the staff put together, uh, it, it touched me to a certain degree and in a certain way because my earliest childhood memory is the night my dad left home. Uh, so I didn't grow up with a dad. My dad left when I was three and a half. Um, didn't come back around until I was seven and a half. Between seven and a half and, and uh, 19, I saw him four or five times, six times. I had no dad growing up, right? So I'm one of those kids that didn't grow up with a dad. By the grace of God, I didn't end up with some of those other places that she described oftentimes fatherless kids go. Because fathers are terribly important and necessary. So uh, just a word to you dads. Um, you have a greater opportunity to shape and influence and mold little human beings than just about any other opportunity you have. Um, you, you have this opportunity to live with them and in front of them in such a way that it does bring salt and light to their life, that it, 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 it brings wisdom and goodness, and grace, and truth from Jesus. And what matters more than anything else, any other parenting strategy, any other Christian thing you would do, is the kind of man you are at home. That's what matters most. The kind of man you are at home. So if you're, if you're a new dad, then then you read the Sermon on the Mount and you pray it through and you keep praying it through and you learn how to be that kind of man so that your good works can shine at home. Start there and then radiate out from there, right? Like you have the greatest opportunity to invite people into and impart the kingdom of God to young people who are living in your own home. So if you're a dad, if you're a dad, um, would you live the kingdom life in your home? That matters far more than anything else, anything else. Um, would you be the kind of husband and the kind of father that you would want your, your uh, little boy to grow up being and your little girl to grow up marrying? Would you be that kind of man? Um, how do you do that? Because we're, we're all somewhat screwed up, right? I, I, I didn't grow up with a dad. I didn't know how to be a dad. How do we do that? Two things. Here's how you do that. Um, first of all, you attach yourself really closely to Jesus. And you invite Jesus into all those parts of your life that need changing, right? So you, you just attach yourself super close to Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. Second of all, you, you find other people who are attached to Jesus. And you ask them questions and you watch them and you learn from them. And you begin to imitate them. That's how discipleship works. Discipleship works on the basis of imitation. So you watch Jesus and you watch people who are following Jesus and you become that kind of person. And in the grace of God, he will make you the kind of person 
he called you to be. He's given you the opportunity. Your salt, your light. He's deemed it true of you. Not because you're super awesome or super special, just because you're in the crowd. Your salt, your light. And he calls you to himself, calls you into his kingdom. And he says, you come to me, and you then from me learn what it means to be the light of the world, because that's who I am, and I will make you like myself. And as you do that, as you do that, you'll bring glory to your heavenly Father. So you are the salt of the world. You are the light of the world. Now, now, go and live like it. Go and be who you are. Be who Jesus has made you to be.